Hello and welcome to episode 51 of Science Solutions and Sprinkles. Today I want to give you a book review of the book Being Mortal by Atul Gawande. I picked up the book while at the library. I recognize the author at like the Friends of the Library area where they have the books for sale. There was a senior citizen working there and she was like, oh, I've read that one. It's really good. And it was really good. I read it in a weekend. I literally picked up it, uh, I think on like a Thursday, and just blew through it over the weekend. Really enjoyed it. And what I loved about it were the anecdotes and his point of point of view. And he really presents it really well in the book. I really like Atul Gawande. I've read other books by him, and that's kind of what drew me towards this one. I've read his Checklist Manifesto. I've listened to Audible, Audible, his book Better. And I mean, during Being Mortal, I cried, I laughed. I actually even had some great conversations with my husband regarding thoughts from it, right? Some of the ideas in Being Mortal are things that we've done um, or been through with you know, people being on hospice and going through this with family members. I also recommended it um, to my friends on Facebook. I shared a quote from it that I'll share at the end. And I got feedback from nurses who have read it, you know, people involved in hospice, anyone dealing with hospice or aging parents or uh, somebody who has cancer or anybody who wants to face their own mortality. This is really a great book. Um, Facing cancer is something I bring up. You'll be hearing about this more from me on the podcast. Um, I don't have cancer, but I'm fascinated with the ways to prevent and mitigate it and have been reading books as such. Um, It's a big research area for me right now, and I love to distill that information. But anybody who works in end-of-life care in any capacity would be remiss not to read this book. When I reached out to uh, my mother-in-law and said, hey, have you read this yet? She's a hospice Uh, nurse. She was like, absolutely. It's a great book. So I highly recommend it. I'm going to go through the highlights. I'm going to talk about the different chapters. I'm going to share with you some great questions that he asks in it that are things to consider. And I'll share some of those also on my blog where this is going to be posted as well. So the highlights, um, he starts by saying that mortality isn't something that's taught in medical school, which is such a fascinating thing. I mean, nutrition's not taught in medical school, right? He talks about the dissection of a corpse, and it's all about looking at the anatomy and not really focused on mortality, even though you're dissecting, you know, in your anatomy physiology courses, this human body, this dead human body, you're not really taught about mortality. You're doing that to learn about the living body. Another interesting highlight is that two books I've read recently have mentioned Tolstoy's The Death of Ivan Ilyich. So may very well be a book I picked up. I did pick it up this week and we'll start reading it. Although um, when I checked my local library, I was surprised to see that they didn't have much Tolstoy. Um, He talks about death a lot, obviously the books on being mortal, but he talks about how it's changed over the years. And death used to be this ever-present possibility, right? People around died all the time. You know, someday you could get sick and die. Um, But now you don't just get sick and die. Um, You get sick and you get better and you get sick and you get better. And as we age, we've had treatments and people have good days and bad days. And I've watched people in hospice have good days and bad days. Um, We're living a lot longer, but old age isn't a diagnosis, right? He actually has a a title, a chapter titled things fall apart. 
And I think that's exactly what our bodies do. Ever so slowly, we fall apart. And modern medicine has really slowed the process down. However, once things start to happen, they kind of start to cascade. You know, the dominoes start to let go. And if you've ever watched someone age close to you, you've seen this happen. You've seen the the hills and the valleys that they go through as they age. Um, I'm going to read you off the titles of the chapter in the body of the book so you can get a good idea of what he covers. The first chapter is called The Independent Self. Then there's Things Fall Apart. Chapter three is Dependence. Four is Assistance. Five is A Better Life. Six is titled Letting Go. Seven is about hard conversations. And eight is Courage. In The Independent Self, he says, and I quote this, if independence is what we live for, what do we do when things can no longer be sustained? And this really struck me. Um, So many people, especially in America, are so focused on independence. But really, when we can't be independent anymore, what do we have to live for? And he talks about later in the book, more about assisted living and nursing homes and things like that. And if we lose independence, we lose a lot. What struck me with the Things Fall Apart chapter was the discussion around geriatrics and the geriatricians, right? The people who treat aging people and the study of aging is very underfunded because there's no new gizmo to sell. You know, when you're a geriatric, you're looking at, you know, kind of like internal medicine, you're looking at the whole body or looking at, you know, he describes looking at a patient's feet to make sure that they're taking care of their feet. You know, there's just so many things that a geriatrician is trained to look at. And it's really a balance of their nutrition and their medications and their living situation. More like a casework than a, a physician at that point at some points um, and you need to be an advocate but again because there's no new gizmo to sell it's hard to find funding in research for it um, independence he gives a brief history of nursing homes which aren't really homes but describes them as you know glorified hospitals um, and talks about how there's better ways to do things and that leads into assistance which again, has more of that, what's better than a nursing home, what can be better in assisted living, which then gets into the chapter on called a better life. When somebody has something to care for, like a plant or a pet, how much quality of life is improved, how much outlook for that person is improved. In chapter six on letting go, it talks about it being really hard to let go. But I think my key takeaway there is that if we try to fight to the end, the quality of life can suffer greatly. In hard conversations, um, I'll go over the questions that are asked. They're actually asked in letting go, but having hard conversations is important and having them early is important. You know, I'm 37 and I'm having these conversations with my husband now, um, even though I want to live to, you know, like my great grandmother to 102 but I don't want to get to a point where I can't have the conversation um, and have my husband or, or someone close to me advocate for me. So it's having those really hard conversations. And a book like this can help open up those conversations. Chapter eight, the final chapter is on courage. Um, my biggest takeaway from that chapter is dying can be scary, but it doesn't have to be painful. Um, and kind of, again, getting those wishes out there as you go on hospice, don't be afraid of hospice. I'll talk about, talk about that in a little bit as well. 
one of my favorite stories and anecdotes, he talks about his actual, his grandfather. Um, his grandfather is well supported by his family until the end. And he compares that, contrasts it to people who have no one at the end. And he, I'm going to quote kind of an extended passage, but in the absence of what people like my grandfather could count on, a vast extended family constantly on hand to let him make his own choices, our elderly are left with a controlled and supervised institutional existence, a medically designed answer to unfixable problems, a life designed to be safe, but empty of anything they care about. You know, I think of somebody being in a nursing home and, you know, they can walk, but there's a hazard they might fall. So now they're forced to use a walker. They're forced to be put in a wheelchair because they're a hazard to themselves. But that person just wants to walk. You know, it would give them joy to walk. Yes, they understand the risk, but we take the choice away from them. So, and when you feel helpless like that, when you feel like you can't control your life, it degrades your health. So, so many epiphanies from this, but that, that quote that we're trying to f- medically designed answer to fix, to unfixable problems. We try to protect these elderly so much that they lose what they need to live for. And I think of COVID here, you know, in 2020, as it, as it came on COVID-19 and we restricted visiting all of these patients and how many of these patients died. Um, I know people in their late nineties who got COVID and survived it. So, you know, what was the detriment of us remove to protect them? We removed visiting, but how many did we kill by doing that? Uh, controversial subject I know, but is very interesting to me to look at the psychological implications of the isolation that elderly go through. The questions that matter, these are the questions I'm going to share on my blog, but I also want to share them with you here. These should be visited frequently. So at this point in your life, how do you want to answer them? Um, is going to change over time. So in the in the end, you know, if you're going into the hospital, these answers might change. The first question, do you want to be resuscitated if your heart stops, right? Me at 37? Well, yeah, I do. I got three kids. Um, I do. I'm not going to answer all these for you. I'm just going to ask the questions. But do you want aggressive treatment such as intubation and mechanical ventilation? Do you want antibiotics, right? For somebody who is at the end of life, um, you know, antibiotics sometimes aren't an option um, on hospice because they're considered a life-saving treatment. But wanting to know if somebody wants antibiotics. Do you want tube or intravenous feeding if you can't eat on your own? Some people, it's really important to be able to eat on their own. If they can't eat on their own, then they don't want to go on. If time becomes short, what is most important to you? These are questions, those first five are ones that you can really have a conversation with, you know, your spouse or significant other, um, with your family, um, questions your doctor might ask you that are very helpful to guide conversations. Um, and I would encourage medical providers to ask questions like this. What do you understand your prognosis to be? And by asking it that way, you're getting the gauge of what the person actually feels, you know, do they actually understand the gravity of their situation? Asking them, what are your concerns about what lies ahead? So instead of just, you know, divulging as much information, you know, verbally vomiting all over them, asking them what their concerns are so you can address them specifically. 
Another question, what kind of trade-offs are you willing to make? You know, I don't care if I have to be tube fed as long as I can watch football. (laughs) You know, like you'd be surprised what people come up with when you ask, you know, what kind of trade-offs are you willing to make? You know, my husband doesn't want to be immobile, doesn't want to be a quadriplegic. Um, Now, again, that might change given an instance, but you know, what kind of trade-offs are you willing to make? What do you want to spend your time doing if your health worsens? Um, What do you want to make? Who do you want to make decisions if you can't make decisions? Um, He gives this example of a woman having this conversation. So going through these questions with her father. And the father responds, if I'm able to eat chocolate ice cream and watch football on TV, you know, I'm willing to stay alive. And armed with that information, um, when there's a hard decision to make in surgery, she's able to make the right decision because she knows as long as he can eat chocolate ice cream and watch football, um, then he wants to stay alive, um, even if it isn't, you know, in a bed. Um, So many great stories, so many great anecdotes in this book, but my key takeaways is that living is more important than surviving. Living, um, quality of life, plants and pets can help, especially with seniors. I love having plants to care for all over my house. No pets right now, but uh, pets are also a great way, right? Having that thing to keep to keep caring for, to provide love and support um, from the senior too, as well as that companionship. Another key takeaway is to use hospice as soon as it's offered. Um, You can always come back off of it. Uh, It really can improve quality of life instead of if you're on hospice and you have an an incident happen, you don't always have to go to the hospital. Sometimes they can come in and give you more pain medication or things that you need instead of ending up in the hospital and maybe being exposed to more lethal um, germs and things like that. So I think that was an interesting takeaway for me. And then twice in my life, I've watched someone close to me pass. Um, once they had closure, once something, you know, like the day before was like, you know, they got some sort of news or, you know, something happened and the next day was the day that they passed. Um, so it's like they need closure, but This quote that he said, and this is the one that I shared on Facebook that was especially interesting to me, but no matter how much one has seen, nature refuses predictability. So doctors don't know that much about what's going on. They know what they have experience in. They know what they have seen. And sometimes that biases them. In the case of death and dying, we can't predict it. We can't predict what nature is going to do in that body. So This is my review, um, podcast number 51 of Atul Gawande's Being Mortal. If you like it, share it, uh, comment on the blog, comment um, through Anchor FM, and let me know that you found it helpful. Again, feel free to share it. This is Sarah Jane with Science Solutions and Sprinkles.